Again, it's very good to see you this afternoon or this morning, and uh, I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles with me actually to Psalm uh, 56, which is I think page 476 on your pew Bible. I'd like to begin with a word of prayer, then make some comments, and then we'll go into the text of the scripture together. Let's, um, please, let's, let's pray. Father, as we begin this journey together into your word, I mean, our desire is to find and to discover what you have for us to learn so that we come out on the other end uh, different than the way we enter. We come out with a wisdom, a, a groundedness in our faith, a clarity for our lives that comes from you and your word. And it is the work of your Holy Spirit to do it. It's not the preacher. It's not even the listener. It's really the work of the Holy Spirit. But we desire to be totally open to his work so that you, dear God, are unhindered in us in these minutes. In Jesus' name, uh, amen. Well, this is one of those weeks that's a little bit, uh, little bit unusual. It's uh, one of those tweener weeks. I'm between sermon series. I finished... Uh, our series in John, with the end of John chapter 6 last week, and I didn't want to start a new series today because I'm going to be going on a vacation. I'm going to be out of town for the next couple of weeks, and so uh, I wanted to come up with a, a single message. And I enjoy doing it because it gives me an idea, you know, to do a little, uh, you know, um, a plucking of my favorite fruit to present to you. But I have to say that last Sunday evening, as I was uh, lying down there you know, trying to settle down to go to sleep at night, I was fretting a great deal because I didn't know, I really didn't know what I was going to preach. And so I told Diane that I was going to do, uh, I was going to put a little St. Augustine. It was good enough for him. It's good enough for me. I was going to do a Bible flop. You know, I was going to let the Bible flop open and that's what I was going to preach on to you uh, today. And so um, that's exactly what I did. And, and when I flopped over the Bible, it came to page 476 and I looked in the up upper left corner of the page and I saw that it said Psalm 55 something because it actually began on the prior page. So um, I turned to the prior page, the Psalm 55. Uh, I, I, I read it over. I read it from the beginning. I read it to the end. And afterward, I'm thinking to myself, you know, really, this is why preachers should not use the flop method to pick, you know, to pick a sermon. Um, so uh, Monday morning came and I was sitting out on the porch and I was having a cup of coffee, enjoying myself. And uh, I thought I'd, 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 it had to work. It had to work. I decided I would try one more time. I'd do another Bible flop. And, and I did. I did another Bible flop. And I'm not kidding you. Uh, I was determined to land in the Psalms somewhere. I knew it had to do that. But it landed on exactly the same page that it had landed on the night before. And, uh, you know, of course, what I was thinking, Lord, why don't you answer prayer? I mean, I'm trying to look for what you want me to preach on. Why don't you give me some help? Um, no, that's not the case at all. And I, I looked at that page, and I realized that, in fact, Psalm 56 was entirely on that page, and I missed it entirely. And I'd, so I read it, and I was struck as I was reading Psalm 56, just how timely a sermon this might be for brothers and sisters in Christ who are facing threats in their life. Uh, times, you know, when we feel entrapped. There are times when we feel like uh, we're in circumstances really beyond our control. 
um, you know, if, you could just, if I could just get out of that toxic job, if I could just find a job, uh, if only uh, poor relations at home improved, um, Lord, if only you would heal me, uh, if only I had a place of my own to live, if only the government stopped dragging its feet on my immigration papers, I mean, on and on it goes. I mean, there are times, and in this church, at any given time, when a number of of our brothers and sisters in Christ are feeling trapped and are feeling like they're in circumstances, honestly, beyond their control. Well, Psalm 56. Psalm 56 is for people who feel encircled. Psalm 56 is for people who are afraid. The description at the, end of, at the beginning of this psalm says a miktam, which is a liturgical word. We don't know quite what it means. It says a miktam of David, and then it tells us when, the context for the psalm, when the Philistines seized him in Gath. So that's my beginning point. I want to give you a little background on this. This, this is a psalm about when David was doubly entrapped and very afraid. He had just jumped out of the pan and into the fire. He had fled from his enemies in Israel by going into the territory of Israel's enemies and his enemies also, the Philistines. He fled to a city called Gath, which was a Philistine fortress and the home of Goliath's relatives. Now, here, let's have a little quiz. Who did, who did David kill? Exactly. So he's going to the place where his family lives. Doesn't sound too smart, necessarily. The backstory is 1 Samuel chapter 21. Saul was king of Israel. Uh, he wants David dead. He sent spies everywhere. Soldiers keep tracking David down. He has to run from place to place. And he's actually run out of places to hide, basically, in Israel. And it's so bad that he actually flees to Gath. Which, when you think about it, it's kind of counterintuitive. It's probably the very last place anyone would expect him to go. Uh, people might think he was crazy. Well, the king of Gath was named Achish. And his servants recognized David. That's bad news. And they told the king. This is from 1 Samuel 21. Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his tens of thousands? And the text says that when David heard this, he took the words to heart and he was much afraid of the king of Achish. And of course, the reason why was because when the maidens of Israel were singing of David, that he kills his tens of thousands, it's referring to his killing tens of thousands of Philistines. Not a good situation. So to try and turn the king's hatred into something else, into disgust, David does fake madness. I mean, after all, why would I be in a place like this? You've got to be crazy to do this. So he fakes madness, and the king appears to buy it. Uh, David pretends to be insane. He starts marking up on the doors around the king. He starts letting spit run down his beard. And, and, the, and, and the king rebukes his servants. He says, you have sent me a madman. Why do you do that? Do I need, do I lack madmen? Do I need a madman in my house, in my presence? And David escaped. David got away. And he fled to a cave. So this 
is the background to Psalm 56. So I guess my question for you this morning may be, how, how trapped and encumbered do you feel this morning? I'm going to read these sections of this psalm and then comment on them as we go. Um, and I think you'll see the relevance and the point of the psalms as we go through these, these uh, verse by verse or section by section together. Uh, I'm going to begin with the first two verses of Psalm 56. Um, David began by reciting his reasons for fear. Then he went into his reasons for faith. Then he went back to his reasons for fear, enhanced. And then back to his reasons for faith, enhanced. And then the conclusion of the Psalms. So there's really like two rounds of this. Reasons for fear, reasons for faith, reasons for fear, reasons for faith, enhanced. And then the conclusion of the Psalm. But we're going to start with the two ver first two verses. And David says this. If you have your Bibles, I hope they're open. He says, be gracious to me, O God. For man tramples on me all day long, an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. You hear the repetition of those words there? Trample, trample, all day long, all day long. Isn't it true that the worst part, really, of any ordeal that we're going through is the relentless pressure that we feel when we're going through that ordeal. I mean, there's no escaping it. There's no escaping it. You can't stop thinking about it. You can't stop thinking about that last meeting or that last conversation or the next meeting or the next conversation or yesterday's news, what came through, what you learned or what you may learn tomorrow when it comes through. You can't stop thinking about it. The, the face-off, the waiting for the other shoe to drop, uh, you, you go around, you're constantly adrenalated. You have to keep your, your guards always up. It's exhausting. It's physically exhausting. It's emotionally exhausting. It's unhealthy. It's difficult. And, of course, it's because you feel endangered and threatened. Trample, trample, all day long, all day long. Trample, trample, all day long, all day long. David is expressing what he's experiencing. And after naming these reasons for his fear in the first couple of verses, he gives his response to fear in verses 3 and 4. He says this. He says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me. You hear that contrast between in God I trust and what can flesh, mere flesh, mortal flesh, dying flesh, what can it do to me? Of course, the truth is people can do a lot to you. I mean, that's sort of one of the premises of the psalm. David's in a bind. But when he looks at God, he, he sees, he has this perspective compared with God and his greatness, what can, what can mere flesh do to me? I'm going to say something to you this morning. There is absolutely no, there is just no shame in being afraid of threatening people or threatening circumstances. Circumstances beyond your control. There's no shame and fear. It's pretty natural. Being Christian, being a Christian does not mean I'm never afraid. This is what it means. Let me say it again. It does not mean I'm never afraid, period. This is what it means. It means I'm never afraid to trust Christ. I'm never afraid 
trust him. The threats you face speak fear to your heart, but God's words are far greater and far truer, and they speak courage to your heart. They give courage. In God whose word I praise. This is the word I listen. This is the word I praise. In God I trust. I hear many voices, but this is the one I praise. It is true. It is reliable. And because it is, in God I trust. Let me just say, I know it's, it is. It's one thing to write a song about courage when you're safe or to sing a song about courage when you're safe. Um, it's, it's one thing to sound brave versus actually being brave. It's, that's all very true. So I just want to point something out to you about this scripture and many scriptures like it throughout the Bible. There are these passages everywhere in the Bible where you find songs of courage composed and sung in the midst, in the midst of great threat, in the midst of oppressive fear, in the midst of deep anxiety. These songs that you read and these songs that we can sing as a church were not composed on great days. These songs were composed and they were sung in very difficult circumstances. And of course, it brings me to my next point about these songs of courage, of course, which is that these songs of courage are inevitably also songs of praise to God. They are sung by men and women of faith because real human courage takes its root in who God is and in the assurance that he rewards those who seek him. Isn't that what we are told in Hebrews chapter 11? He who believes in God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. This is faith. This is faith that delights and pleases God. So when we call out to God, you know, this idea of courage, it really is grounded in who God is. And the more we connect with God, with praise, the expression of our faith, the more we find ourselves filled up and strengthened with a true and a genuine courage. Because I know who he is. I know who I am. And I know, I know it will be well with me. As we call out to God from the mire, the Lord, it's when we're in the mire and we call out to God that he strengthens us to see him more clearly. What is it the psalmist would say, David would also say? What did he find about God? What did he testify? He said, God. He's so great up there, you can't believe it. No, he said God is a very present help in time of trouble. And as we praise him for who he is, and that's why we praise God, for who he is, not because of what we're feeling at the moment, we find ourselves lifted up. We do, and we find our communion with him growing. And when the scripture says 
He who believes in God must believe that he exists and that he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That closer, dearer, sweeter communion and sense of fellowship we have with him surely is one of the rewards that he gives because it sustains us. It sustains us. Well, this is what the text is talking about. John doesn't, the Apostle John, doesn't he remind us that the victory we taste in the midst of threats against us, again, when the, in the face of the world against us, the victory that we taste in that moment is our faith. It gives us courage. We defy the world. We defeat the world. All the world has is, all the world has is fear and coercion as it's weapons but notice next in verses five to seven david goes on he begins round two he returns to his reasons for fear and he really expands on them he says all day long they injure my cause all their thoughts are against me for evil they stir up strife they lurk listen to this language they lurk they watch my steps they waited for my life they're waiting just waiting for me to slip for their crime will they escape in wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. And then in verses 8 to 11, he pushes back all the harder than with his response to fear, his resolve of trust. But I want to draw your attention especially to verses 8 and 9 because that's new in this cycle as part of his response to fear. He says this. He says, you have kept count of my tossing. Put my tears in a bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. Can you read that last statement with me? This I know, that God is for me. Now when I read those verses, did you notice David's attention to detail? He says that God knows every fitful toss and turn of David in his bed. Do you count the number of times at night you toss and turn in bed when you can't get sleep because you're worked up and concerned about it? David says, God, you know every one of them. You keep a count of those. He says, you preserve, you treasure and preserve every one of my tears and you put it in a bottle. That's a very beautiful image, very beautiful. And the point of this detail is not to underscore how all-knowing God is. He is all-knowing. But it's here to underscore how all-loving God is. David's confidence in God is grounded not in his power. That's the given. He's God. It's given in his love and mercy for David. This I know. That God is for me. You hear a mother sit down, have a cup of coffee or tea with a young mom and who talks about her baby. And one of the things that help that I marvel at is how these young mothers with their children are so completely tuned in to every single thing that happens to their baby to every single thing that child is doing. 
I mean, she, and she's right there to help. She's right there to protect. You know, the baby cries and has no idea how deeply aware the mother is. The mother is assessing that cry. What kind of cry is it? Is it a cry of alarm? Is it a cry for help? Is this a let the baby cry it out cry? What kind of cry? The mother knows. The mother is completely and totally tuned in. Every day. Did you see the new thing my child did today? Let me show you a picture. I didn't know putting toes in the mouth was that interesting, but if you say so, every single thing. The baby has no idea how tuned in his or her mother is, but gradually the child learns it. The child learns it about his mother. Mom is for me. Mom is for me no matter what. And what David is saying in this beautiful imagery is, you know what? God is for you. He's for you no matter what. David as a king would later write in Psalm 131, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, you hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Or Isaiah, in the context of his writing of the certainty of Jesus coming, said, can a, can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. I will not forget you. And that's what David's saying when he says, you keep every one of my tears in a bottle. This I know, that God is for me. With the coming of Christ, this refrain reaches its crescendo on behalf of those who are suffering for their faith and in the midst of their faith. And I'm going to read this in its length because it bears reading. This psalm comes back with such power as quoted in Romans 8 when Paul says, we know, you know this verse, God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he has predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that his son might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he calls. Those he calls, he justifies. Those he justifies, he glorifies. He does it all, he, first to last. He never drops the ball, ever. He never drops you. And then he says, Paul writes, so what shall we say then of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? God does not promise us. He does not promise you that we're going to be spared all evil. He does not promise us that no that, uh, that, that, that no evil will ever come our way. What he does promise us is that no evil can ever separate us from him. Can no ever, ever, cannot ever separate us from his loving us. Can never separate us from his power to keep us. Can never separate us from his purpose in bringing you safely to his kingdom forever. Well, after reading these two rounds of David's reasons for fear and his 
um, resolve to trust his responses of trust, we reach the conclusion in verses 12 to 14. And Paul says this, and Paul, David says this, I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. You hear those verbs. I must perform. I will render. David is just so determined to honor the Lord by offering thanksgiving to him, and not only because he's worthy, God is worthy of this testimony, but also to offer this testimony to God for himself and all of God's people as a memorial, as a remembrance. God never loses sight of our miseries. David is resolved to never lose sight of God's mercies, to recall them, to keep them in the book, to recall them. All those fears that the Lord had delivered him from. There is no way that you and I can know what lies ahead in our lives that we should prepare for. But we can look back and we can recall the many ways the Lord has delivered us from things we feared. The many ways the Lord has kept his word to us in Christ, just as he said he would. And when we live that way, and that is our mindset, we recall, we offer testimony, we not only pray up prayers of, of request out of our fear and anxiety and our faith, but then we come back and we thank him, we recall, we give thanks. When we live that way, when that is our rhythm in our relationship with God, we are always reinforcing in ourselves and in others that when I am afraid, I put my trust in God. God is for me. What can flesh do to me? We have a huge record of God's faithfulness. Every one of us who are in Christ. And David's determined to preserve it. And he's determined to add to it. And it is incumbent on us for one another as well as for our own soul's well-being to do the same. God is for me. Christian, this is the truth. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, think about this psalm, we thank you for it. We thank you for David's faithfulness to you, to offer thanks to record his own experience of pain and fear of his own defiance and active faith in the midst of these things. Um, a trailblazer. Uh, we read the Psalms and we're reading the words of trailblazers. Um, but Lord, uh, no one is the author and the perfecter of our faith uh, like Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, the shame of the cross, despised it for the joy set before him. And Lord, it is true. It is completely true. You kept him. You preserved him. You raised him. You exalted him. And he says to us in his exalted state, at your very right hand, I will never 
leave you or forsake you. All the more, all the more reason for us to have confidence and courage in the face of deep threat and a sense of entrapment that we often feel in our lives. Deliver my brothers and my sisters, both young and old, children and adults, from these circumstances that seem so, that are so terrible for them. And then put songs of praise in their hearts and mouths. And help us join in singing those praises with them for all your deliverances. We'll be careful to give you thanks. Amen.